So we're back in the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually about two-thirds of the way through it. The wild adventure that it is to see Jesus' visionary manifesto for life as he lays out this unbelievably beautiful, powerful, inspiring picture of the abundant life that's possible in knowing him, in allowing him to reign as the King of kings and Lord of lords in every aspect of life. And we're right in a little mini section within his vision for our lives that has everything to do with being genuine. So in case you're new to church, let me tell you some good news. God doesn't want you to be a faker, okay? And that's really good news because we're all tempted to be fakers at times. God wants us to be genuine, in our relationship with him. Jesus calls it out. He, he picks up three very typical, you might call them religious or spiritual practices of the day. He talks about giving generously, living a generous life specifically for the poor. He talks about prayer and he talks about fasting. And he affirms that all of those are good things, but he has a refrain. He repeats something three times as he says, when you do these things, don't be like the hypocrites, but do this. And so he's going to take a, a good religious practice that he doesn't say, hey, get rid of those things. He says, these are some of the things. Yeah, these are good things. There's a lot of value in them. Keep doing them, but don't be a faker when you do them. Don't be a hypocrite. Here's how you do it in a way that has power, that has spiritual depth, meaning, and power. And so a couple weeks ago, we were looking at the Lord's Prayer, the way he taught us to pray in a genuine way, to have a real conversation with God that increases in both frequency and depth throughout our lives. And this morning, we're going to look at the last of the three that he talks about, which is fasting. And initially, it's like, oh man, fasting, that's, that's kind of weird, it's boring, that's like super religious. And I, I agree, that, that's my impression early on, but I actually think there's something incredibly deep and powerful about it that has a lot more to do with food, a lot more to do than food. But let me, let me start with a, a story about the wrong way that I was introduced to fasting. And as a young, young early married man, I, was, I think I was 21, my wife and I were Fresh out of college, we're married, and going to a church in San Diego, and the church decided they wanted to do a 40-day fast. And so we said, all right, let's, you know, sign us up. And it was kind of like 40 days, Jesus style, which we'll talk about in a moment. He does a 40-day fast in the wilderness. But it was, you know, kind of the fast from something. Yeah, we're, we're not all at the Jesus place where you go 40 days without food. And so I'm like, ah, oh, what could we live off of, you know, for 40 days, but fast from stuff? And I had done a year in Costa Rica and study abroad where I kind of lived off beans and rice anyways. And so I was like, you know, babe, I, 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 don't, I don't think we're going to die if we do this. We could survive. So let's, let's do this. And so we decided to do a, a beans and rice for 40 days. And that was kind of like the main point going into it for us was, all right, we're going to do this. We can survive 
on beans and rice for 40 days. And the first couple days, you know, we, 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 we survived. It was like, hey, this isn't so bad. And then so we tried to kind of like get more spiritual and up the ante a little bit. You know, it's like, so we decided, hey, let's, let's, not, let's not put any spices in the beans. Let's get, let's get a little more spiritual. And so we did that for a couple more days. And we survived. And then we felt really spiritual. So we're like, hey, you know what? Let's, let's cut out even salt. So we got plain rice, plain, plain beans, no salt. And now we're going to be really spiritual. And so we did that. And <clears throat> we just started to get bitter <laughs> at life. <laughs> but we felt spiritual. Not really. We felt legalistic. And, and we, we continued to fast with that mindset of kind of like, oh, let's force our ways through it. This is disgusting. I hate food. I hate beans. I hate this fast. But I can't quit because I committed to it. And so we finished the bean fast of 40 days. And now in my mind, it's just the bitter bean fast because I was just bitter. I got through it, but I was just bitter. There was no deeper connection with God. I'm being very honest. There was no deep connection with God. There was no great breakthroughs. It was just kind of the bitter bean fast. We made it through, but we were just mad. <laughs> kind of for 40 days straight. And I look back, and it was like, what, what went wrong with that? And I think it's kind of what Jesus is getting after when he talks about fasting. So let's read his words here. Matthew 6, 16 to 18. When you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, notice Jesus says not if, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so I can identify myself right in here and really what went wrong with my bitter bean fast is I had the, the wrong understanding of fasting. I was trying to give up something really hard to just, in a sense, feel spiritual for giving up something hard. And so I see myself in Jesus' words like the hypocrites in that I received the reward that I was going for. Now, I didn't disfigure my face in order to be seen by others. Jesus says, if you do that, that's all you get. If you're trying to impress others, that's your reward. But I was trying to impress myself, which I think equally fits into this category. I was trying to impress myself with kind of how religious could I get? How hard could I make it for myself? And if I look back on it, that was my goal and that was my reward. <laughs> I got what I was going after, which was impressing myself. And it was bitter. Because in the end, if you're trying to impress yourself with how spiritual you can be in something, there's not a whole lot of reward. It's bitter in the end. But the good news is, Jesus has a much better way. 
He doesn't say, so man, you kind of, you messed that up. You didn't get it. You had the wrong intentions. So just quit doing it because you just were kind of like this hypocritical, go through the motions, religious guy. So get rid of it. No, Jesus doesn't say that. He says, like he almost always says, check your heart. Get to the motivation. Go deep with yourself and God in an honest confrontation of what's your goal, what's your vision, what's your purpose, what's your motivation. Because Jesus says there is a reason to fast that's done in secret for your heavenly Father's reward. This is interesting. Jesus says, Keep, you should fast. There's spiritual power in it when you do it in secret with the right motivation for your heavenly Father's reward. So I see that. I'm like, man, I really missed it because I was not looking for my heavenly Father's reward. I was just kind of fumbling around on my own strength and trying to impress myself and just getting bitter. There is a reward to fasting that your heavenly Father wants to give you. I want to look to the model of Jesus' own life for the right kind of fast and the reward that it brings. And keep in mind, as we're talking about this, we're going to see how this is much bigger and more than simply food, although food can obviously qualify. In Matthew chapter 4, not coincidentally, right before Jesus starts his public ministry, which we are looking at his first sermon right now, the Sermon on the Mount, not coincidentally, right before that, he goes into the wilderness. And it says in verse 2 of chapter 4, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So to dig into what Jesus is doing here. There's a window into his understanding, his own self-understanding of what he's doing while fasting. He's been in the desert 40 days. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. And so in his humanity, he is hungry. It's kind of like, okay, that makes sense. Duh. So the devil tempts him in what would be a temptable area of human need, human weakness, you might say. The devil tempts him with food, the opportunity to immediately fulfill a need, a desire, a hunger. And Jesus responds to that opportunity for immediate satiation or, or fulfillment with an unbelievable response that, that goes deeper, way deep. 
declares the truth that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is a quote from Deuteronomy where God is talking to the people of Israel about how he has been faithful to lead them through the wilderness and the point or one of the big points that God was trying to teach them in the wilderness is that humanity does not survive on bread alone, but by the word of God being made real to them. And so that's really a metaphor because this is not trying to say that if you listen to the word of God, you will never need to physically eat again. Jesus is going deep, metaphorical, spiritual, and saying the real life, the abundant life, is found not in the immediate satiation of, the, of, the, of our physical needs, wants, and desires, but in a much deeper place of communion with God. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God that goes into the soul of man is the food that the Father provides to the soul of humanity so that we might eat and be alive. When Jesus quotes that and says, man shall not live, by bread alone. That's his metaphor. That's his play on words. Life. It's a challenge to us in the question of what is your source of life? What are you going to to be fully alive? In your vision for life, where are you going to build an abundant life? And Jesus shows us something incredible, which is that even in deep physical need, and this is where the physical can cross into the spiritual, and it can, and it can feel incredibly spiritual when you're physically in need. And Jesus shows us, like, even at this moment of real, great physical need, there is an opportunity there to do something very deep, which is to learn how to make sure that we are not turning our soul to be satisfied by things that are not God himself. It's really, really profound. The reward of fasting that Jesus models that he is going after is quite simply communion with God. More of God's presence. And what Jesus models for us, he says no to a, a current desire because he is seeking the reward. He has a vision for the reward that is coming, for the reward that is a gift from the Father, which is more of God's presence, more communion with God, more of the life, the abundant life that is found in the communion with God's presence. 
So he leaves for us a fantastic example that then he teaches from his own experience and says, when you fast, don't do it for these religious external reasons of just trying to feel spiritual or look good on the outside or impress yourself. Do it, have the heart motivation where you are seeking the reward of quite simply more of God's presence, more communion with God, more connection with God. So to begin to think it through in our life, we've got to start to put some some verbiage that helps us connect with the reality of fasting being a lifestyle for Jesus, a way of life that actually is far more than about food. So I want to give us some just memes, so to speak, some thoughts, some hopefully inspiring and challenging ways to think about our lives and fasting. I believe from Jesus what we see is that fasting is not about a set of legalistic no's. It's about cultivating a disciplined life of choosing the best yes. So thinking that through a bit, applying it to Jesus' own life. It's not like having a meal is a sin. It's not illegal. (laughs) Far from it. We actually physically need it. So this is not even talking about things that the fast from that are unhealthy for us. Jesus said no to food at that moment, at that particular moment. He said no to feeding his physical hunger impulse Because based on his vision and in that moment of fasting, the disciplined choice he had made, he said no to fulfilling that impulse, that desire, that hunger in order to not be distracted and derailed from his vision and choice to just seek God's presence. So what we see in Jesus is that fasting is not about religious legalism, like I thought. You know, just do something spiritually hard to feel cool about yourself. No, don't even try it. Let me, let me save you the bitterness. <laughs> it's not worth it. No, fasting is about cultivating disciplined choices toward an abundant life. Another way to say this is that God's goal in our lives is not to restrict you from real pleasure. God's goal is to point you to the highest and greatest joy, which is intimate communion with him. That is the greatest reward. And fasting as a lifestyle, which we'll get to a little bit more in a moment, that's what it's about. Isaiah 55 says it like this. 
Come, all you who are thirsty. So Jesus was thirsty. He was hungry in the moment, right? Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? Your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me. This is God talking. This is an altar call in the Old Testament. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest of fare. That's the invitation from God to delight in the highest possible source of joy that the human soul is made for. And that's communion with God. And so fasting can become this critical kingdom practice because it really teaches the soul discipline, which produces self-control, where you learn to say no to impulse in order, and here's the key, to build an abundant future of communion and connection with God. And that's where it gets to become a lifestyle. Because, come on now, be be honest, saying no to impulse is hard. Is it not? We, and especially in our culture, where we are taught to follow your impulse, feed your impulse. Lots of people make lots of money when they can teach us to just feed on impulse. Buy this now. Get this now. Consume this now. You need this now. It's on demand. It's a drive-through. It's a grab-and-go. It's quick. It's easy. It rings, dings, pings, and notifies, and you don't have to do anything except consume it. Follow your impulse right now. I would encourage all of you as a challenge to just go through the day and think about how many times impulse is appealed to throughout your day where you feel this quick urge to just go after something. It's both internal and external. Our culture tells us to consume our way to happiness, follow your impulse, and any restriction on impulse is some kind of oppression. Oh, they're just trying to hold you back. And we have to follow the model of Jesus for our, if we want the abundant life, we have to recognize that that is a lie. Our culture's call to follow impulse as the road to happiness is a lie. It doesn't work. It's not what the soul is made for. Fasting is about learning how to say no to instant gratification in order to build an abundant life of communion and connection with God through intentional Choices, intentional, disciplined choices. 
So if you think about your future, and if you want it to be an abundant life of communion with God, so there's your vision for your future, an abundant life of deep and increasingly intimate, real, powerful, soul-satisfying communion with God, you will never get there if you just follow impulse. Jesus models fasting as a lifestyle because you will get there if you build toward your future on disciplined, self-controlled choices that build communion with God. So I believe we can have a courageous conversation with ourself, Holy Spirit. A brave act of strength could be to take that, that inventory of impulse in our life and say, God, show me where, and here's a bold phrase, show me where I'm a slave to impulse. Where I'm not acting out of disciplined choice or self-control, I'm acting as a slave to impulse. Because if you're acting out of slavery to impulse, which we all do, so hey, there's no shame because we're all there and Jesus died to cover all of your sins. So this is where you can be courageous and brave. You can stand before God and know that Colossians 1.20 says you are holy and blameless in God's sight without accusation, meaning not even the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, and not even yourself, because sometimes we're better than Satan at accusing ourselves of being horrible. But according to the perfect blood of Jesus, right now, as we have trust and faith in him, we stand before God. Colossians 1 says, holy. Do you know what holy means? Holy, perfect, like God. Because of Jesus, you're wrapped in his righteousness. And what that does is gives you the courage to say, well, since I'm already perfect in your eyes and I'm right with you, now I want to be closer to you by getting rid of that junk that's holding me back. And if you are a slave to impulse, that's junk that's holding you back from deeper communion and fellowship. So the courageous prayer, the impulse inventory is, God, would you reveal to me any place where I act at times even as a slave to impulse? See what he says. A few possibilities just to throw it out there. Food, easy, sweets, desserts, just impulsive eating. Is it a disciplined, self-controlled choice, or is it just kind of impulsive slavery? And you know what's a little bit dirty, I'll be honest, is that right now, food companies, love of money, the root of all kinds of evils, they are genetically engineering sugar to be addictive like a drug. It's not natural anymore in almost any fashion. And brain scans of the sugar that is in today's food shows the same kind of dopamine hits with drugs. And I'm just saying that to say the facts that we're being lied to <laughs> and we're becoming the product. They are getting us addicted. And that's why when you have a little bit, you start to get that craving. Like, 
Why isn't it that it's like, oh, I just, cool, I had a little something, and now I'm good. It's like, I had a little something, and I want some more. The, we are being taught to crave, because even chemically in our brains, we are, the more addicted we are, the more profits they make. So that's a real battle in the world we live. Am I a slave to those cravings? What about screens? It's the same exact story behind the scenes. They want you to spend as much time as possible on the screens. So they make more money. They are not your friend. You are the product. The more time you spend on the screens, the more money they make by selling you and your preferences and choices to advertising. They do not have your best interest in mind. Similarly, they want you addicted. They're not your friends. So it's right and good for us to be sober about these things. I'm not saying don't use screens ever. I'm saying be aware. Is it disciplined choices of using a tool? Or have you become the tool? Because that is their goal. And if you feel that, I mean, I feel it. Oh, my gosh. It's like, I even, like, I tell my wife, have the, like, if you're not using the computer, close the screen. Because if I walk by the open screen, I feel the addiction of, like, I have to check my email. And I'm like a little slave robot. I have been trained, addicted, trained to need it. And it's like, I checked it 10 minutes ago. The world is not on fire. If it's on fire, I'll get a phone call. I don't need that. I can feel my brain. But here's where it messes you up. If, if the goal of Jesus is saying to be in peaceful, constant, ongoing communion with God, but this little thing is pinging, dinging, and blinging and getting me constantly, frenetically distracted. That's the opposite of that peaceful, ongoing connection with my Father. That is what I'm made for that honors God and satisfies my soul. And so it's not like, oh, email is sin, just like food isn't necessarily sin, but if it's the place I'm going as my sole source of satisfaction or trying because I've got these propensities of addiction, what it just means is you're missing out on what the soul is really made for. That's what Jesus is going after. Man does not live by emails alone, but by every word that proceeds by the mouth of God. You could insert anything. Man does not live. It's, the point is, what's your source of life? Man does not live. Man will never experience the abundant life by sweets and pings and dings and social media and all these various things that where we feel those impulses. The abundant life, man will live, be fully alive by communion with God. And so life becomes, it can become, fasting can become a and I believe should become a lifestyle in the sense that really deep down what fasting is about is about the intentional, disciplined choices with self-control of building an abundant life of communion with God. And that is going to, as a byproduct 
we're going to say no to a lot of things. And what we're certainly going to say no to is the slavery to impulsive desires because that will never build the abundant life of communion with God. That happens through the disciplined, self-controlled choices of feasting on God. And so maybe the encouragement is, it's as you've made maybe that inventory, that list, and man, you can keep going on, time is a huge one. Impulsive uses of time. One of the greatest gifts God's given us is time to be disciplined and intentional about how we use it. As my wife was talking about a couple weeks ago, this picture of like the big rocks in our jar. We only have time for so much, so put in the priorities first. Those things that are helping us, according to God's word, feast on him and get to know him and grow in our depth with him. Prioritize that instead of being ruled by the schedule where we, oh, I don't have any control. I just don't have time for God. I don't think that's going to go well when we stand before Jesus at the end of our days. I'm sorry, Jesus, my calendar was just so busy. I don't have time for you. But it wasn't my fault, it's my calendar. I wouldn't be confident in that answer. But it's the world we live in, right? If I'm not disciplined and intentional about my choices, about what to feast on in my time, then I'm owned by my calendar. But just as important, we'll kind of close with this idea, just as important as doing a courageous inventory of where we might be prone to Slavery to addiction, and maybe it's not slavery. Maybe it's just impulse. I like using that strong language with myself. I don't want to be a slave to impulse. I like that strong language to wake me up, to be like, wait a second. <laughs> I w my soul is made, designed by God, to feast on the richest of fare. Why would I settle for anything less? Don't be a slave. Now, I'm doing that with myself, not with you. So if you want to just say tempted towards impulse, there's grace for that. Let's close with this idea from the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 9, 26, he just talks about his own life of discipline. And it fits exactly into a lifestyle of fasting. He says this. He compares himself to an athlete. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable prize, but we do it. That's the implication. So what's he saying? He's saying we exercise self-control in all things. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. 
And so he had, we all know athletes, and if you watch any sports whatsoever, that's one of the very cool things about sports is they appropriately elevate discipline. After anyone wins a world championship, they interview them, and they elevate discipline. No one ever says, well, I took the summer off, I got fat and lazy, I drank a lot, I didn't exercise, but I just won. That's not a good commercial. The good commercial is, I was in the gym at 5 a.m. when no one else wanted to be. I was there first. I was there last. I pumped this iron. I did this. I worked harder than all of them. I had more discipline than I've ever had. I worked my own butt off, and I drank this fancy drink. And now I'm a champion. You don't need the, you need the drink of the spirit. There, oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. You need that discipline, and he'll provide the, the drink. He'll provide the living water to make it happen. But discipline is our part. It is our choice. Why do you think Apostle Paul says that? I discipline myself in all things. That's personal responsibility for where you are, with the choices you are making in your life towards the vision of more of Christ. And I love this word self-control in here. If you flip it around, I mean, the word literally itself means to resolutely control your own desires. So flip it. If you don't have self-control, you are controlled by your desires. And they're not talking about Christ. Talking about those impulsive, fleeting things that don't satisfy and don't honor God. And so self-control, actually, to, to a Christian who sees themselves like an elite athlete or wants to be an elite Navy SEAL, an elite follower of Jesus, so to speak, I want to discipline myself in everything so that I'm not controlled by my desires. I'm not controlled by fleeting impulses, but I have made disciplined choices towards the abundant future of knowing God in unbelievable ways. And the last part here, 1 Corinthians 9.26 in the NLT just has a phrase that we could all tattoo on our arms. So I run with purpose in every step. 1 Corinthians 9.26, NLT. Fantastic sense here. A fantastic translation of what Paul's going after. I run with purpose in every step. It shows both the vision, I have a purpose set before me of knowing God, communing with God, wanting that to be my, my highest goal in this life is to know God and therefore then be transformed to be like him. And I need purpose, excuse me, and I need discipline to do it. I run with purpose in every step. That is showing a, a discipline, a self-control of intentional choices to, toward the building of your abundant life with God. So in all of these things, fasting as a lifestyle brings joy and freedom. So that's got to just wash over us with good news. Fasting is not that weird spiritual let me feel cool because I do really hard things that just make me bitter. No. Biblical fasting, where we discipline ourselves with self-controlled, intentional purpose towards the glorious future of knowing God better, and God's reward for you is joy and freedom in knowing him. 
Let's pray on this. I was singing.